0: This is the THORN Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at THORN and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of THORN statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease hi everyone and welcome to the thorn podcast thanks for joining me this week for another episode and uh, this week we have dr mark holtaus who's joining us again he's a physician that has taught hormone health for the Institute of Functional Medicine since 2014, many years. His specialty is men's health, prevention of cardiovascular disease, dealing with cognitive illnesses and intestinal disorders. How are you today, Mark? It's great to have you back again.
1: I am doing well. Always great to have fun with you and talk about these really great topics. So we keep the fun
0: in functional medicine.
1: Functional medicine has to be fun because it's too hard not to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, let me ask you this. What uh how many years have you been in practice?
1: Oh my goodness. Uh since <laughs> more than you want to know? A, a long time. Uh yep. let's see. Well, medical school ended in ninety. So wow. family practice residency and in, in ninety-three four. So yeah, thirty thirty something, early thirties. Yeah.
0: Right, and did you always do integrative medicine, or was that something you kind of evolved into? I got
1: to the point where I was ready to vamos me- uh, medicine because <laughs> I was tired of being a, uh, as I, my partner and I would put a glorified drug rep. I just felt <laughs> like my
0: my scope of
1: care had dwindled from residency training. So severely. And I, I just, I went into it for the preventive piece. And I felt duped when I realized that all that meant was taking account of the last mammogram. It's like, wow, I know that's a cancer that's already there, right? I'm looking yep.
0: at prevention. So prevention,
1: about 15 years into that 30 year stent, mom we, we had a course correction. So I refer to myself as a, a recovering MD now.
0: So <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're on the road now. And uh, you know, from previous discussions with you, I can tell that you've really gone in deep into that road less traveled. Um, you know, you really like the science and the you know the the physiology, like getting into some depth about what's going on.
1: I, I didn't realize how much of a nerd I was in family practice. <laughs> you know, you you learn this stuff in residency, and you kind of just say, okay, I'll study for the test every 10 years. But functional medicine is a jealous mistress. It's it's just the taskmaster where you find yourself in these rabbit holes. But I, I guess we must have some desire to go there to, to be attracted to this style of medicine.
0: Well, let's get into the main discussion for this week, which is mitochondrial uncoupling. Wow. Uh, what exactly is that? And what's the effect of this mitochondrial uncoupling and longevity? How does that impact longevity and what we call biogenesis? So, you know, this is the perfect topic for a geek that has gotten into the science. But uh, your job is going to be to explain what the heck this means and why would your average person care about this? So can we break some of this down for our listeners that maybe don't have a background in the physiology or the science, but are interested in optimal health, you know, feeling better, et cetera. Why should they care about mitochondria? What harm mitochondria? Oh my goodness. No, it's, it's
1: it's a wonderful discussion. And, and you kind of follow the bouncing ball with me, if you will, I'm a hormone guy and, Mm -hmm. and hormones are largely made in, in the mitochondria. So, so that's, that's the justification that I gave uh, some of my mentors and really the mitochondria is this this kind of ancient thing. We think it might have been a, a bacteria probably at one time, a long time ago, before I was ever a gleam in my dad's eye. And, and probably you as well, Dr. Maybe
0: Archie. a couple of billion
1: <laughs> years ago. It's, it's a while. And so the, the cells decided they would be better off engulfing the These bacteria, and they kind of help each other out. Plants have a similar kind of organelle in them called a chloroplast that does this. And the chloroplasts and the mitochondria are kind of like these little motors inside the plant and animal kingdoms' cells that generate our energy. Uh, You know, kind of an important but thankless task. They're. In that process, like like a combustion engine, there is, uh, there's waste, right? We have fumes and exhaust from our automobiles. Well, we have oxidative stress and reactive oxygen species and other alien types of names that these poor mitochondria have to generate and endure uh, during their lifetimes. And so... This whole idea of uncoupling really is nothing more than the idea of, hey, let's give those mitochondria a trip to Tahiti with an umbrella glass for a couple of weeks, a vacation, if you will, so that they can take the time to do some housekeeping, get rid of those oxygen species that they've produced and and work on longevity and anti-aging and, oh, by the way, when they're not Coupled and uncoupled, we find that they make heat from the calories we ingest, as opposed to storing ATP energy and making more fat around our midlines. So
0: the uncoupling part, of, what what is being uncoupled? If you can explain, <laughs> yes, that. what what is coupled in a in in mitochondria? I mean. Great. What does that mean? Exactly. Great question. Has
1: nothing to do with marriage counseling. (laughs) And and what happens is these mitochondria have within them these things that Call the Krebs cycle and that, that brings the hair on the back of any medical
0: student's neck. Oh, you gotta you know? learn that for the exam and then Horrible. forget it as quickly as
1: possible. You, you memorize it to forget it and and this is the geek part of functional medicine. You gotta go back into that realm. Mm-hmm. Well this Krebs cycle thing come to find out is where it's all happening within the mitochondria to take the calories and the and, you know the, the, the carbs the fats, the amino acids, the proteins that we eat and convert it into a usable form of current which the cell calls ATP that pretty much does everything we do from thinking to detoxing to what whatever you can come up with we couldn't function without ATP couldn't function we'd be dead without it and that's what causes a lot of us to go into rigor mortis when things aren't doing that well when we buy it so
0: why can't you just take ATP in a pill well, that if it's that great, what gets you just say I'm going to have yeah, you know, there's, x amount of ATP every day? I've heard I've heard
1: certain companies claim they have that,
0: but yeah, I, I have. I, I know. I, <laughs> so
1: how it, would that work? How would that work? That would be a bestseller tomorrow. Uh, so you've got this Krebs cycle that's turning out all of this this uh, conversion of food to ATP, and and. In the Krebs cycle, in the very bottom, uh, has uh, basically using vitamins to transport electrons from this this process of eating food to something that's very obscure sounding, but it's called an electron transport chain, ETC. And this is where this is where life is happening because you're literally taking electrons from food, transferring them via vitamins, co-transport molecules, and 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 literally making this gradient of protons, which is an energy, a biochemical gradient that allows you to make energy in the form of high phosphate energy bonds. We call those ATPs. And the uncoupling comes when the mitochondrial membrane, instead of tossing those electrons in such a way that we make ATP, we actually just make a bunch of heat. It's it's called thermogenesis. And it's it's how our brown fat uh, generates heat. And and this is why actually our brown fat is brown. It's chock full of mitochondria that are uncoupled and, and doing this. So we've got brown fat, lots as we're little kids and we lose it over time. But um, converting white fat to beige brown is a good thing because you've got all this mitochondrial uncoupling and heat generation as opposed to uh, energy storage going on. And so this is what the uncoupling is. It's at a, it's at a mitochondrial cellular level.
0: So what, what we're really talking about is having your mitochondria make heat instead uh, and, and be efficient at burning fat Exactly. to make that so that exactly. heat is coming from burning fat. And I know hardly anyone, I don't know anyone, that's two double negatives. I don't know anyone who doesn't want to burn fat.
1: Exactly, right? <laughs> it's 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 an interesting question whether the the mitochondria are becoming less efficient, uh, like a Ferrari engine, or more efficient, like a Toyota Prius. If you if you really look at it and and see that they're wasting caloric energy and making heat instead of storing it, it's it's really a more of a form of inefficiency that's allowing you to go after this oxidative stress, promote these longevity genes and, and anti-aging effects all while the mitochondria are making more of themselves we call that mitochondrial biogenesis.
0: biogenesis yes
1: and and so a lot of people will say well why would i want to uncouple and be less efficient with my calories i'll get fatigued and i'm gonna be hungry and cold and tired like a low metabolism and in fact just the opposite turns out happens as we're uncoupling we're actually making more of them so There's a net neutral energy uh, issue going on as far as more work being distributed amongst more workers, more soldiers, if you will, as it makes more of itself. Some of these cells have got thousands of these mitochondria. Thousands of them.
0: So this kind of begs the question, what about this guy, Wim Hof? You ever heard of Wim Hof? uh, Tell us a little bit about what Wim Hof's theory is and you know, why uh, why I go for a swim at my local gym and I see people taking a plunge in the, they have this cold water uh, pool at the at the end of the, the swimming lane. And I see people even in the middle of winter going and jumping in this cold water. What are, why are they doing that? And what's that supposed to accomplish?
1: I think I think they're absolutely certifiable is what I think. <laughs> but, uh, you know, finishing your shower with a cold one minute. Exposure to water, jumping in the you know, these polar clubs that, that are in Scandinavia and whatnot. There's data now that says that these so-called crazy people might not be as crazy as we thought. They're they're uncoupling mitochondria
0: mm-hmm. when they
1: get exposed to cold water and um, other crazy things like staring at a, a, a Red light, red light therapy uh, sitting in an infrared spa, or sauna that's got this certain wavelength of, of energy have now all been shown to help with uncoupling. Uh, even the FDA has approved some of these red light therapies for things such as wound healing and, and whatnot. so th- there's there's all of these things outside of just, um, what you eat or how you eat that can cause this uncoupling. Cold water exposure is one of them. Red light's the other one. There's there's others with food that are specific too.
0: Um, I've just been reading this book about bird migration, which you might say, what, why the heck would you read about something like that? Well, it's because the it's written by uh, a biologist who talks about what happens in birds' metabolism before they get ready to go fly eight. 1,000 miles, 10,000 miles. Non stop. So you think, well, they've got to have pretty darn good mitochondria to do that, which is exactly why, you know, their physiology labs that are studying this. And one thing they found is when they're preparing uh, to do these long flights, they eat like crazy and they basically become diabetic, right? They, you know, they get fat, they put on all this body fat, they get so fat, they can hardly move around. My point is that the enzymes that control how our, in- how our mitochondria turn on and on. are a lot more flexible than people realize. There's things that we can do that will change how our mitochondria function. Birds can do it. Humans can do it. All animals can do it. So there's obviously, you know, dietary things, environmental things that can influence our genetic expression, which then changes whether our mitochondria are coupled or uncoupled. So these Our mitochondria are not just kind of little furnaces that are off doing their thing and there's no influence. They're highly influenceable. Can you Mm -hmm. speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's a signaling issue. And we know that ketones are intracellular signaling agents that turn up uh, when we basically bring fat from our periphery into the liver. And some of this fat is converted to these ketones. And, and we used to think that the ketones in and of themselves were somehow this magical, uh, you know, somehow preferred energy source over glucose. When in fact, yeah, most of the data now is saying it might supply at best 30% of the total body energy needs in a day. And so that's not really making a lot of sense. But now we're seeing that maybe it's they're signaling on coupling and we know that this is going on. Uh, we see that um, other things besides ketones, which you generate from certain types of macronutrients in in the way that you're eating, but also in in intermittent fasting, you're generating ketones. So we think that this is really where ketones are working for weight loss, is promoting thermogenesis and mitochondrial uncoupling as a opposed to somehow making us a more efficient fat burner. Uh, one of the other things that's, that's fascinating to me is the plants, the plants. Everyone's talking about in functional medicine, the plant predominant diet, you know, and, and you look at it, the plant kingdom, their mitochondrial equivalent is this chloroplast thing, which has to put up with all the UV oxidative stress that's, that they're sitting out there in the July heat right now and they can't run away. They can't pop up uneasy an up, and and so they've got all these kind of things that they use these tricks up their sleeve to deal with oxidative stress, and and those are these these plant sterols, these phytonutrients, these phyto sterol pigments that are giving all these plants their beautiful color that are not only canc- anti cancer, but we're finding that when we as mammals eat these chemical pigments that plants have made to service the oxidative stress of their mitochondrial equivalent, their chloroplasts, if you will, we get the same benefit of uncoupling our own mitochondria in mm. our cells. Mm. So this is this is the two-fold, one-two punch of eating plants. You get the fiber. Come to find out the fiber causes our gut buddies to make these things called short chain fatty acids, which are uncouplers.
0: Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. they've
1: got the pigments, which are also uncouplers. So plants, you you get kind of this one-two punch of making all these wonderful postbiotic products after you've eaten them. Our our microflora munches on them and makes things, strange names like butyrate and acetate, which are in their own right precursors to ketones, Uh, butyrate and acetate. So You've got these feed-forward positive cycles towards regenerating and giving your mitochondria a break to to promote housekeeping uh, whenever we're doing these things. So you'll see a lot of people doing intermittent fasting, doing red light, doing cold baths at the end of their shower at the end yeah. of their, their routine. You're pulling
0: out that Wim Hof app on their pulling phone.
1: Pulling out the Wim Hof app, which I haven't got on my phone yet. Yeah. I'll come clean. <laughs> yeah. um, in addition to eating a plant-predominant diet and getting good lean, clean sources of protein and fats uh, as, as a method of, of not just weight loss, but longevity and, and dealing with all this oxidative stress in our internal combustion engine, we call the mitochondria of our cells.
0: So just to to clarify for readers that may not understand what oxidative stress is. We're talking about free radicals and they may not know what free radicals are. Uh, Maybe you could give us just a basic definition of what we're talking about. And then as part of that, uh, respond to the question about whether a little bit of free radicals are Mm. a good thing or a bad thing, like are all free radicals. bad? What are free radicals? What is oxidative stress? And is it all bad? Yeah, it, the
1: good thing is, like like most things in life, it's somewhere the truth is somewhere in the middle, uh, and and we ne- we need a little bit of these stressors to keep our immune system in top shape and to keep actually our mitochondria sensing that everything is is still okay. Uh, so. We used to think that that the reason that we had such good health with some, certain folks was because of their oxidation uh, capacity to kind of soak up antioxidant, you know, antioxidants that could soak up these. So all antioxidants these guys. are
0: good, and that's the cure for everything. Right.
1: And then we started seeing data that wow, some of these things are are promoting cancers and 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 don't use them with with uh, radiation for head and neck cancers and things like that because it's going to be a problem or prostate, and, you know, and colon cancer. So we started to realize, wow, well, maybe some of these antioxidants just flooding the body like we were isn't, isn't the best approach. And maybe they're acting as these signaling molecules to do other things that we weren't aware of. Uh, you know, on the other side of the coin is the reactive oxygen species or free radicals. These are when things like oxygen have electrons added or taken away that make them from a chemical point of view, unstable. And, and and when they're like that, they're unhappy until they can complete where they were initially, where they like to exist in nature. And but they're and very reactive. They're very reactive. and And you might say that they're Acting out within the body, and they're promiscuous. They are they are
0: promiscuous, and so they
1: they do things like oxidize fats and and DNA and and uh,
0: tear up your cell membranes. Tear up
1: membranes, and and membranes are where all our receptors are, which tell our cells what to do when, when, and how. So having a lot of these characters around, it, it can be problematic because of their DNA damage can cause cancer, or they can cause cell cellular malfunction at multiple levels. So having a lot of them around is a problem. And the place where they like to hang out, where it's it's the, the steamy kind of bar room club where they all go, is <laughs> mm-hmm. in the mitochondria, is, is where it's happening. And so
0: that's where most of these molecules are made, actually, right? in the mitochondria.
1: Absolutely. By far and away, the majority was like 90% of them at a cellular level. That's where you're going to find these guys. So we want a little bit around, just like with most concepts with functional medicine, to stimulate, and keep and let the body know it's still alive, but at the same time, uh, you know, we don't want excesses of these things. Uh, and and sometime we'll have to talk about cell danger response with mitochondria that yep. ties into this whole discussion.
0: So this is, it's a little bit like the Hans Selye's idea that all stress isn't a bad thing, right? That uh, a little bit of stress actually kind of, it's like, you know, you're poking the butt, to to get up out of the chair and go do something so that's what mitochondria need is that little bit of a poke to you know with these unstable molecules tells the mitochondria okay i got to stay alert and active and keep going it's just when there's a lot of them around and that you know would be what happens when somebody smokes cigarettes exactly or lives or goes out and and I always i kind of joke about this but when i see people jogging by the side of a super highway, mm. I think, you know, this is not good. I'm glad that you're exercising, right. but you don't want to be exercising, you know, increasing your need for oxygen while you're breathing in all this automotive exhaust. It's not a good thing.
1: Right, right, right. And, and you know, bones are a great example of this concept. When they get stressed, they grow. And when, yeah. when you put an older person in bed in the hospital for four or five days, they lose their bone. And, and it happens very quickly so the body has this need for a little bit of a little bit of stress we, we like to term give it a fancy name called hormesis uh but it's it, it is it is a overlying concept in biology
0: yeah cool well i think we're going to need to take a break right now and when we'll come back uh, we'll answer some questions from our listeners uh maybe get into some specifics about things people can do for their mitochondria lifestyle changes etc Did you know that unhealthy lifestyle factors such as lack of sleep, overexposure to the sun, and an unbalanced diet can affect your body at the cellular level, leading to a lower level of NAD+, a crucial component in your cells. When your NAD-plus level drops, it can result in many of the adverse symptoms of aging. Thankfully, nicotinamide riboside, or NR, can lend a helping hand. NR helps your body prevent the effects of early aging by boosting the body's production of NAD+. And because no two individuals are the same, Thorne offers a wide variety of NR-based formulas, such as our Advanced Nutrients Multi, or Thorne's very own exclusive Niacell NR formulas. See Thorne's whole lineup of NR-based formulas for boosting NAD+, when you visit thorn.com That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. And we're back. So now it's time to answer some questions that have been submitted from our community. Thank you all for sending these in, by the way. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asked, why does mitochondrial biogenesis slow down over time? And what does this have to do with longevity? Uh, if we're eating the right thing, shouldn't we just keep on making new mitochondria our whole life or does something, I'm going to add my own question here, does something change where we suddenly stop making new mitochondria? What what goes on there?
1: Yeah, and this is an area beyond my area of, of expertise, but the, from what I understand thus far, you know, you've got these uh, little powerhouses in our cells that have their own DNA,
0: mm. and, and this is... This They're is separate from the nucleus. Right, yeah.
1: separate from nuclear DNA, and so they have the ability to uh, reproduce themselves independently of the rest of the cell. Uh, Thank goodness. Uh, And this is why we're able to do biogenesis in the first place. So with those DNA uh, that exist within the mitochondria, there, there are all kinds of clocks and programs that we're just now understanding. And there seems to be a sort of intelligence that the mitochondria has that kind of runs the whole show for the cell at large. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a term that we use called apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, where we're learning that the mitochondria and what's happening in the mitochondria and what it's sensing is going on within the cell has this unique ability to kind of a, a kill switch, a death switch, if you will, to take out the cells. And when these things are dysfunctional, Sometimes it leads to things like cancers and uncontrolled cell growth, or or zombie cells and cells that really should be killed but are are secreting now things that um, are contributing to aging, not just in the immune system, with whose cells are particularly active, uh, but can affect other organs such as the heart, the kidney, and the pulmonary uh, aging. And so there's there's this switch and this programming going on within the cells, we think largely within the mitochondria and the, the wisdom that's held there, possibly in its DNA. Uh, and and there's there's a finite number of replications and and mm. potentials for errors to develop in this mitochondrial DNA, just as we see with nuclear DNA when cells divide and replicate themselves. So as, as time goes on, As oxidative stress takes its toll, as errors occur in this DNA, as these programs realize, hey, I'm not really pulling my own weight here anymore as a cell in a different tissue making up an organ. You know, this is particularly a problem in in neurological diseases, right, where we see things in the the neurons that, uh, you know, avoid us having Parkinson's symptoms checking out if that's happening because of things that are prematurely signaling the mitochondria that you as a cell don't deserve to draw breath any longer, we need to hit the death switch uh, are occurring. So these are the kinds of things that we're seeing. But this is something that occurs over time. Uh, and, And Bob, you can speak to possibly some of the things you're hearing about with specific timing on that occurring.
0: Yeah. Well, along those same lines, I mean, I, I think there are two things. I think there is some kind of built-in program in our cells that says, you know, time to go shut down, right? Time to take the long nap. Um, so there, there is some kind of program that we don't really understand, some kind of signal to do with aging in general. And then B... There is wear and daily wear and tear. The DNA in our mitochondria don't have the same protection that the DNA in our nucleus does. So the nucleus uh, has got all all these proteins, uh, histones that are wrapped around the, the DNA in the nucleus to protect that DNA from being bombarded by these free radicals, the unstable molecules. Mitochondrial DNA doesn't have that protection. Right. So, you know, it's kind of an ominous image, but our mitochondria are basically getting bombarded every day with these free radicals every day that we're alive. Right. So at some point, we just can't keep up with the repair. And that's why some people that are the anti-aging specialists are saying, well, the secret to longevity is to improve the repair mechanisms.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh
0: Right. If we know how to do that better, uh, then, you know, maybe we, we can unlock the door to longevity
1: correct and you know this this all these enzymes that are involved with protecting that sacred code if you will the dna these telomeres and these telomerase enzymes uh being one that's been isolated but now there are multiple mechanisms that they think have to do with with aging at at the mitochondrial level beyond just telomere length which was kind of the the first big eureka about cellular aging that was that was stumbled upon
0: absolutely so that kind of ties into the next question, which is, well, at what age do we start losing mitochondria? What, you know, when when do things start going downhill? <laughs> you know, and
1: we always talk about health age versus versus uh, you know, how long you've chronologic age, your lifespan versus your health span, if you will uh your your lifespan being what your birth certificate says and your health span being what your mitochondria know about you and so we have folks that are prematurely aging because of oxidative habits because of their diet because smoke. of smoking because of pollution yep. Uh, because of heavy metals that promote reactive oxygen species like gangbusters in the mitochondria and, and can be problematic at disrupting the Krebs cycle and the ability to make energy in general. And, and these are the people that are coming in saying, I can't think anymore. I have brain fog. Uh, you know, I have COVID brain. I have ke- chemo brain. Uh, and I, I'm, by the way, I'm also fatigued. You know, who's responsible for clarity of thought? in the neurons. And who's responsible for making ATP so that that can happen there and that our, so our skeletal muscles can, can perform and exercise in the gym? Well, it's the mitochondria. That, this is the source of, of life in ATP. We refer to it earlier as the cellular currency. Uh, so cellular aging and more specific mitochondrial aging is, is a fluid, situation. Uh, you can see folks that are prematurely aging because of lifestyle changes. And certainly we know that most of the physiologic functions, whether you're looking at gastric acid secretion, whether we're looking at how efficient we are at, at, at getting oxygen out of the air we inhale, uh, whether we can filter our blood and make urine, how much renal reserve we have, these are all age-related things that are really hard to do a whole lot about, but start really kicking into gear midlife, 50, 60 years of age when you look at the data. And, and my experience has been that as a whole, this is where you really start seeing things occurring with mitochondria as well. This, this is where there's a, a logarithmic point to the curve, if you will, of, of aging in general.
0: So in other words, we can't really pinpoint a specific age for uh, the general population, but that's what testing biological age versus chronological age is about because one person may be chronologically 60, but biologically their mitochondria are 50 or even 45, you know, it could be 10, 15 years younger than the chronological age. And a lot of that has to do with how effective they are at repairing their mitochondria how uh, efficient this biogenesis process is, and I, I mentioned this because I'm thinking of this French guy's name uh, uh, escapes me right now, but he took up bicycle racing at the age of 103, <laughs> and they and he raced under supervision for about two years and actually won some races, and they measured his oxygen uptake and it improved over two years. So if his oxygen uptake, what's called his VO2 max, uh, Maybe you can talk about that what VO2 max is, but he improved his ability to utilize oxygen over two years. The only way that could have happened is if he made more mitochondria. That's
1: that's right. It, you know, there's a certain element to VO2 max which we know is genetic. Um, mm-hmm. However, that we do also know that at varying degrees, there's been demonstrations like that. That's an an amazing one. I've never heard that before. Where you can actually acquire. An, an improvement and and the way that VO two max works it's it's a measurement of your cellular respiration your ability your mitochondria's ability to use oxygen and 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 spin this Krebs cycle efficiently to generate muscular and and, and energy for the body so th- that's phenomenal uh, yeah. I it's amazing
0: don't do this at home <laughs> don't do don't this. try this at home if you're 103 oh my goodness yeah yeah yeah
1: that's that's fascinating but. No, the, the mitochondrial story is is becoming uh, one of uh, how do we help support it? Uh, yep. How do we help it do its job of repair and replacement? Um, how do we support changing the old worn out batteries in our flashlights in our cells, which we call autophagy in general? Uh, you know, there's a whole movement of you know being very muscular and very lean and 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 um, focusing on, on maximizing uh, you know, physical physique and appearance and, and, and growth of, of, of the body, growth hormone and testosterone and things like this. Uh, and, and then you have to balance that with the mitochondria's need to really promote anti-growth, more longevity, more anti-oxidative purposes and autophagy. And like anything, like we talked earlier, there's a balance and a dance uh, kind of reminds me of hormones, estrogen and progesterone, estrogen and testosterone, uh, it, the recurring theme of there needing to be a, a delicate balance between the two. So when I get a lot of my, my patients come in that are uh, really, really focused on their physique and how lean they can get and their you know, there's 75% saturated fat diet uh, to, to make killer ketones, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we look at their labs and they're inflamed as all get out. Yeah, the
0: CRPs are elevated and you, you realize the lipids are off the chart. Right.
1: And, and I'll say to them, you know, if I know them well enough, I'll say to them, enjoy how you look now because it ain't going to last. Your DNA is suffering. Your your body is, is aging, whether you see it or not, very rapidly.
0: Yeah, well, that uh, actually is a part. The part answer to this next question, which is how can I improve my mitochondrial health in general, and then there's a corollary to that. Can you talk about the what the mito diet is? So you're talking about the ketogenic diet. Uh, what's the mito diet? How's that compared to the ketogenic diet? And is the quote mito diet is that a good thing for people to follow in general? And I and the, before we dive into that, I did want to define one term. You've mentioned a term autophagy. Um, maybe you can explain people what that is, because I think when you start talking about what's good for your mitochondria, you're going to have to to come back to this autophagy concept. So, what is that
1: exactly? It's um,
0: autophagy
1: is really the the discussion of supporting uh recycling of old cell parts that are literally worn out that that are inefficient and and the mitochondria has this huge role in dictating and being kind of the conductor of how this is all going so there's so it's
0: garbage disposal that's
1: the garbage disposal and it's it's the programmed what is your trash day is it every tuesday and and we'd better make sure that that's continuing to happen because there are things in the cell that they wear out and they they're not doing anybody any good in fact they start creating intracellular inside the cell havoc uh, if they hang around too long, by producing... which is
0: like amyloid in the brain with Alzheimer's, right? A-
1: exactly, a souvenir of a battle that's gone on before. And so these excess proteins, these even these other organelles, we call the mitochondria an intracellular organelle, but there's other organelles that they start to outlive their shelf life, and they really need to be recycled. And this this is this is RNA, it's DNA, it's proteins, it's um, all kinds of other th- other things that we won't we won't bore you with, but autophagy. But improving
0: autophagy is is part of this mitochondrial health. It's all part a big of part it. of it.
1: It's all part of it because of the the relationship. So we've got, you know, we have a keto diet now that the functional medicine folks promote, and it, it's really because they've I think recognized that these are these are potentially one and the same thing. So things that support the mitochondria are things that promote
0: membrane
1: health because the mitochondria are made up of a bunch of membranes an outer and an inner and the inner is what in fourth grade you drew you know those little squiggly lines and um, so we know that things that support healthy fats omega-3s you Mm. know fish oil fish oils are going to be incredibly helpful there Um, it's helpful for all these fancy molecules that can reside within these membranes and foul up signaling that's supposed to get across that membrane and tell the mitochondria what's going on. So we want a certain amount of both omega-6 and omega-3s in there. So healthy fats are are always a big deal. We talked about all the things that support mitochondria a little bit already in that the uncoupling. So Things that are uncoupling, the plants, the fibers, uh, you know, sometimes we get into some of the elements of the plant specifically, like butyrate, we call as a short chain fatty acid, uh, like acetyl L-carnitine, like CoQ10, uh, that have areas that are specifically needed, not just within the Krebs cycle, but also within this electron transport chain, uh, which will get us into that NAD discussion that's there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, since you brought that up, uh, you know, people were uh, have been asking me a lot about NAD because they're, they're hearing about it. What does NAD have to do with all this, this right. corollary to these other questions?
1: Right. Right. So you remember talking earlier, we talked about how the Krebs cycle takes
0: calories and food.
1: And, and rips off these, these electrons within this Krebs cycle. And it does so via a couple of vitamins. And, and the ones that we really are talking about are vitamin B3 and vitamin B2. And NAD, being a vitamin B3, B as in boy derivative, is is one of these chauffeurs that transports this energy, this electron, to this electron transport chain. And it it docks there right at at the beginning of it. And so NAD has become kind of a point of interest with uh, many functional and, and integrated providers for energy or what we call mitochondropathies, where the mitochondria are failing in whatever organ you might be talking about. If it's the pancreas where you make insulin, and now you're not able to make insulin anymore and your sugars are starting to rise, it's not always because of being overweight and being inflamed. Sometimes there are toxins. Sometimes there are things that, infections that we know, that can affect things and drive oxidative stress, and damage the mitochondria. We know that NAD is now being touted as something that you can give as an IV. And, and what we're currently in the process of our clinic doing is, is looking at some of the literature and some of the real experts in the science of NAD, which is just a vitamin B3 derivative that- Right, is niacin. Part of, part of Niacin, it's part of this electron transport chain to make ATP. It's a bigger discussion in that I think sometimes just giving the IV form of NAD, which has a relatively short half-life, may be missing the mark if we're not looking at it in that bigger context. Uh, there are people in this field that are looking at different pathways, something called scavenger pathways, and some other things which really keep the NAD that we have around there. And if, and if you do end up getting an IV, having it hang around a little bit longer, getting a little bit more bang for the buck, so to speak. So the NAD and the IVs that are being done, people are making a lot of money doing this. Um, I think there's going to be more to this story. We're currently developing kind of an energy module where it's going to involve mitochondria support in general. We're going to address some of these scavenger pathways to preserve NAD and and some of these uh, CD pathways that are involved with NAD that will make this a little bit more uh, pragmatic a little bit more practical and it's expensive so though it, it's it's kind of a fad right now uh, they've capitalized on niacin and it's uh, it's involvement with the atp production pathway uh we've got b2 riboflavin that's involved a little further down the chain you know next year we may have a fad trend that that starts Hooking up.
0: Yeah, well I I have to say I've I've gotten very interested in this whole uh pathway of the nicotinamide riboside which is, you know, a precursor to NAD. Um I know there, you know, some people are not uh as enthusiastic about it as others, but what I've seen is that uh as the studies have evolved, they've learned how to how to exactly characterize what's going on. So The animal studies have all been great. The initial human studies, some showed absorption, some didn't show an effect, but then they found it really dependent on how you did the study, right? And if you do the study correctly, it does seem to show that nicotinamide riboside, which if given with the right other nutrients like resveratrol, et cetera, uh, and a methylating agent like trimethylglycine. When you give all that stuff together, it really does seem to optimize NAD. So, you know, that's one to stay tuned with, I think.
1: Right. The big question now is, you know, do we give precursors? Uh, do we give the real deal? Uh, I, I, think, I think you nailed it, uh, Bob. It's going to be the whole, t- the whole context. And if, if we're paying attention to, to the physiology, the biochemistry of how this exists, how it's recycled, Kind of like the glutathione story right there was so much more to that when we figured out selenium was needed to regenerate and, and glutathione peroxidase and all these other antioxidants uh mechanisms with catalase and whatnot you start to see a, a bigger picture evolve and, and i think that we've seen one small piece of a, of a picture and, and so I guess I'm not the first one that jumps on these things because I always want to build that better mousetrap I want to understand it in the context of everything else before moving ahead with treating it as with a modality we're we're getting close to launching our energy module for patients as a protocol. This will be one small piece of it
0: Wow, I'm really looking forward to that um okay, I think we've got time for maybe one more question and this is kind of an extension of something you talked about earlier. But the question is, how long do I need to fast to really stimulate my mitochondria? Um, Is there too long of a fast, right? Can I overdo it and cause a problem? So maybe we can give just a kind of a short answer to that. Like, you know, if you fast for nine hours, is that long enough? Do you have to fast for three days? Is three days too long? What, you know, what's the balance in there? Yeah.
1: As with everything, it's individualized. You know, I have some premenopausal females who, you know, we we don't have doing 16, eight hour, or 16 to 18 hour fasting periods during the third week of their, their cycle because of what that can do to cortisol and, and stress and some other things. So putting it in the context of the individual, you know, what I, I'm quick to say is that you'll start getting benefit, you know, is as, as soon as you go to sleep, and it's been four hours since your last meal, your body starts looking for places to keep serum glucose stable outside of what you're eating immediately through glucose neogenesis, whether it be glycerol from the fats, whether it be uh, you know amino acids. We know that at 10 and 12 hours, we're already starting to see significant amount of ketones being generated. For those that can push that first meal out four hours from where they usually do, they're going to have some significant signaling and uncoupling going on from ketones. We also know that you've got kind of this sweet spot around 16 hours of fasting and an eight-hour window where you're going to see probably some of your best payoff for some of these ketones and weight loss, anti-inflammatory purposes. Looking at autophagy and things like that, you're you're, um, supporting stem cells and autophagy. Most of the data that I've seen has been out closer to 18 hours and longer, 24 hours in that realm. You know, we know that the hormone ghrelin that stimulates our hunger peaks at about 48 hours. So I always tell patients it's harder or as hard to fast for two days as it is to do three or four days um, as your ghrelin starts to peak and then actually come back down after that 48 hours. But most of the time I'm telling people you're gonna get. The biggest bang for mitochondrial support, autophagy, somewhere between 18 to 24 hours, even out to as long as a three-day water fast. But I don't recommend folks doing that all the time, periodically. You know, your body likes to see things as a change-up. We don't want to do the same probiotics forever and ever. We don't want to have you doing the same uh, fasting period without interruption. Many of my patients will do a three-day water fast once a month, and they'll do a a 16-8 Fasting and eating window five days a week the rest of the time, uh, but from what I've seen from from Davis Finney and from uh, Doctor Finney and from from Jason's uh, Jason Fung's stuff, as well as some of uh, even Walter Longo's stuff, somewhere in there seems to be pretty consistent. And there's some great work that's been done at Harvard uh, with with some. Foundational work on this as well.
0: Great. So I I have to say that when I first went into practice in functional medicine, that uh, whatever a person came in with, you know, they were fatigued, they weren't feeling well, I would say, oh, well, my initial approach is to have you do a three to five day fast. And what's changed for me over the years is that I've tended to reserve, I've moved towards reserving these longer fasts for people that are mostly healthy that want to clean out. Because I found that when I run people through a three-day fast and they weren't healthy, it can actually make them feel pretty darn sick. Yes. Um, so I think you just have to be careful uh, when somebody has got a lot of imbalances going on. Um, that would be my only caveat.
1: Exactly. They're going to have a lot of fat loss, which is where we store our toxins. So they're going yeah. to mobilize this stuff and feel really flu-like and awful uh, i think it's important to individualize the therapy uh, we have an intermittent fasting class that we do a group class one is basically intro the second is what to do when it's not working part three is based on specific uh special groups you know uh, we talk about pre-menopausal women versus versus 30 year old men who are doing CrossFit every day. We talk about pre-diabetic patients who are incredibly metabolically inflexible. They don't know how to use anything but glucose. And so they get hypoglycemia very, very easily. And it takes them a lot longer. And we we go at these things a much at a much slower pace to get them.
0: They wouldn't those people wouldn't do well if they had to migrate eight to 10,000 miles across multiple oceans <laughs> uh, <laughs> during a typical cycle. No, yeah.
1: they would need a Red Bull somewhere about mile five. You're
0: going to need a little help from caffeine or something else. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for this week. Dr. Hotels. I have to say something. You have um, said a lot of things today in our previous podcast that I did not hear talked about in my family medicine residency. (laughs) And so it's really gratifying to be able to talk to a a family practitioner, you know, that has taken such a deep dive into the science and has so many insights. So thank you so much for sharing all that information on our podcast. And again, I want to ask people if they ask you if people want to follow your work, how do they uh get in touch with you what's your best contact source thanks
1: bob you know the the website uh, functional medicine of idaho uh, is is available uh, we we use info at fun med idaho is 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 the most direct way and that'll find its way through the patient navigators and and things like that and if if you're looking to get information and you're in one of these states that i i currently have a license i can do a telehealth with you as well so
0: California, Nevada,
1: Idaho, Oregon, you're in luck. Everybody else, I'm still working on them.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. And uh, I, I would love to have you back uh, in the near future. And thank you, everyone else, for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to @thornhealth. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorne's Take Five Daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorne Podcast.